We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hi, everyone. This is Christina. And Carmen, not MJ. Yes, MJ is out. She is dealing with a lot with her mattress contaminating basically her whole apartment. As you have seen on our socials, we are selling stickers to fundraise for her. So if you want to uh, buy stickers and help MJ out, the I don't know, check out our socials. Sorry, it's I haven't had enough coffee today. <laughs> mm, tell me about it. I'm uh, having my first cup right now. Because I got up late. My fault, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I was trapped with the baby. And then I couldn't get up and get the coffee that I had just made. Oh. I stayed up late finishing Wednesday yesterday, by the way. Oh, yeah. did you like it? I did like it. Good, good. It's fun. It's a fun show. Mm-hmm. Today, we are talking about scary stories from El Salvador. <laughs> it's been a while since we've been back to El Salvador because... Espiguitos came out and immediately I was like, bam, El Salvador, El Salvador, El Salvador. And then <laughs> then I kind of just ran out of topics. We've, we've done a few El Salvador stories since then. But yeah. Oh, I'm glad that this happened to be the topic. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see how we are on time because I realize now that the scary stories I have are pretty long. And so is the to the case from a Salvadorian woman missing. Uh, sorry, it was an unsolved case for a long time and then it was solved. So we'll see how we are in time if we do that, too. But also, before all that, the listener's story. And today, this listener's story, it wasn't sent in today. It was sent in a while ago. And I just, uh, I was scrolling looking for the listener's story and I found it. And this was sent in via voice message. Your first one. Yeah, our first one. Nobody ever does this. So if you want to tell your story and you want your voice heard and we're just going to listen to it and react to it. Send it in. There is a voicemail option on our website, espookytales.com, or you can record a voice note and email it to us at espookytales at gmail.com. We love receiving them. So, Carmen, if you click that link and it'll take us to the story and we'll just both press play. Okay. Okay. So I know you said that you like voice memos. So I'm sending this one in because um, I'm currently watching your. October, I guess, episode where you asked for October stories. And it actually made me remember that in your exorcism episode, made me remember that a few years ago when I was still in high school, at the time I was dating my husband. So back then he was my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And we were at his house. Pause, pause. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did she say she was dating her cousin? Her husband, back then, she was her boyfriend. (laughs) I got scared. I'm like, oh my God, did she say cousin? I'm going to stop hearing right now. You know what? Maybe that's normal for some people. Sorry. Stop. It's not. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm at 38 seconds. I'm going to play it again. All right. Yeah, me too. Okay. Go. And we were getting ready to go pick up his mom from a church retreat. So 
we go and she told us the wrong time, I guess, because she wanted us to go to church, like sit there during mass. We didn't want to. So it's me, him, and his sister, and we're just like chilling outside the church. You know, we have like flowers and stuff or whatever to congratulate her on completing like her retreat. And we're just chilling out there, cooking off, eating ice cream. And there's a couple people out there with us, like I guess people that just didn't want to go to church and were just there for their family members that also completed this retreat. And then just, like, I start to notice that a crowd is, like, gathering around, like, the front of the church, like, where the doors are. And during Mass, those do- those doors are closed. So we get closer to see, like, what's happening. And we just see, like, this girl, she can't be, like, more than 15. So she was younger than me, so, like, 17 or 18 at the time. She looks to be that age, like, 15, maybe. And she's, like, convulsing on the floor. And there's, like, four mm-hmm. dudes around the same age, just, like, trying to hold her down, and I look at, we look at each other, like, what's happening, like, she have any seizure, like, I don't think they're supposed to hold somebody down like that, and then just, like, out of nowhere, she starts, like, well, laughing, and well. it's not just, like, any laugh, it's, like, a cackle, and you can see, physically, like, all four of these dudes are, like, struggling to hold this girl down, and she wasn't, like, a big girl, like, she looked pretty, she looked pretty small. And she's just, like, laughing. And she's, like, shaking and convulsing. And, like, I'm starting to get unnerved because I'm kind of creepy. Like, why are you just, like, laughing like that while you're being held down? And she's just, like, laughing. And then her voice, she starts to talk. And at first, like, I'm not registering what she's saying. Like, it's, like, I couldn't understand for a second. And then it just goes into Spanish. And her voice is all raspy. And she goes, and like she just like starts laughing even harder and just keeps talking about how our Creepy. god isn't real mm-hmm. and how like we're pathetic or something i don't i don't remember everything but like it was really creepy like i just simply remember her voice getting like that and it didn't sound too like unnatural but like you could tell like that wasn't her speaking voice and it was really really creepy really scary at the time and my boyfriend like made a joke and I just like looked at him like this is no laughing matter this is this is serious like that's not funny and he's like I cope I cope with jokes I cope with trauma by laughing and I was like okay but like I'm like genuinely scared to hear me here making jokes and while we're in the midst of this discussion somebody goes inside to get help but like the church service is going on while, like, everything is happening. And somebody manages to get, like, the priest assistant or something, or, like, the sancolitos, people that help during the service or whatever. And these four men come out, and this is men now, like, grown men, take over for the boys who are, like, being ushered into the other wing of the church. Because the way our church is set up, it's, like, it's, like, a main big one, and then there's another one where they have, like, classrooms and stuff for First Communion and Ofirmacion. And so, like, they're, like, being ushered over there, I guess because they're traumatized. And they, these men sit, like, pick up this girl, and, like, she's, like, she looks like a wiggling worm. Like, I can't think of any other way this is how to describe it. But she looks like a wiggling worm while they're, like, carrying her over to the front, like, against the door of the church, and there's, like, a chair there. They sit her in the chair, and, like, it looks like they tie her with something, and one of the men just starts, like, 
starts laughing, and she, like, continues to mock us, and is like, this isn't going to do anything to me, this is hilarious, like, this is nothing to me. And we're just, everybody's just in silence. Nobody's even recording or anything, like, we're all just too scared, we're just staring. And then, when he's done praying, he, like, throws holy water at her, or what I assume is holy water, and she screams. And it's not, like, a girl scream, it sounded like a, like a guttural scream, like, horror movie type shit. It was, it was something I had never have experienced since, and I never want to experience again. It was absolutely terrifying. And this just keeps going on until the church comes out. I didn't see where they moved her to. I think cause for a brief second, she wasn't there anymore, but neither were the people. And then somebody said, oh, she's in a car. They put her in a car. And so this car pulls around, and there's, like, parked in front of the church, in front of where we were standing. And she's supposedly in there. And one of the guys, I guess the person driving, is like, get Father Jack, get Father Jack. And that's our priest's name. Like, he, he needs to come out here. And so they get the priest. And so they leave her, I guess, unattended in the car because this guy, like, just goes in there. And then the car alarm starts going off. And you can see her pressed against the window, like, making faces as the car is going off. And then like, they do the click, click, and stop. Oh, my God. And then it just keeps doing that. It just keeps going off. And then the guy that was driving comes back and he, like, starts the car and somebody else comes running out. And says, just take her to his house, take her to his house. And they just take her away, I guess, to the priest's house. But it was the most terrifying thing I have ever experienced. Whether it was a prank or not, I will never know. But it was insane. It was crazy. And I hope you guys enjoyed that story. And I hope it makes it onto the podcast one day. I have a whole lot of other stories that I could possibly share. Uh, but please this one share them. Was pretty, <laughs> I guess, not even really recent, but it's pretty recent for me. And that was the only thing I really experienced personally besides the story I told you about Mexico. All the other stories I have are more about my family than anything. So, uh, yeah, Christina and MJ, you guys rock. And I uh, really love the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Wow. Um, several questions. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. So they were at the church celebrating the end of a retreat. That seems uh-huh. pointless. And I would refuse to go. I'm like, I don't give a fuck if you complete this fucking retreat. <laughs> what the hell do you get me when I finish doing something? You know what I mean? Like, who cares? It's Is this a participation trophy? And there was a bunch of people there apparently waiting for their or there for their families that finished this damn retreat. Like, I don't understand. You know what, though? We're not, we don't go to church, so yeah. we don't know if, it's probably a thing they do. <laughs> I've never heard of this. So we used to go to church, though, and I'd never heard of this. We also were never that, like, deep into it, though. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay. That was weird, though. And I was like, why are you there? Why are you there? And wild. I just want to know what happened at the end. Like, what happened to this girl? I don't know. Yeah. What what became of her? Is she still out there possessed? Either, I mean, possession or a really, really severe mental uh, breakdown. I don't know. I mean, I hope possession. (laughs) I would rather, I would rather have a possession because then they just like, you know, get uh, cast away their demons and then damn, you're good. You're chill. I couldn't remember the word exorcism right now. Whoops. Oops, I was going to say they just yeah. get baptized. And I'm like, that's wrong. <laughs> that's not right. No. <laughs> but yeah, that either way, it's it's something. It is something traumatizing to see. Oh, yeah. Whatever it was like, that's not something 
it, it yeah it uh, like affects you mm-hmm. just watching it yeah uh, but yeah thank you so much for sending that in and as always you can send your stories into us at gmail.com or use that voicemail option on our website either one or dm it to us on discord there's a lot of options here but yes yeah, so now we're gonna get into um stories from el salvador and so the first one is they're from it's from a blog called el salvador region magica.blogpost.com this has to do with farms and coffee plantations Ooh. yeah which we know a little too much about <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> Yes, yeah, so if you want to listen to the horrible dark history behind coffee plantations, check out episode one of Carmen and I's other podcast, Historias Unknown, where I tell Carmen about the dark history behind behind coffee in Latin America, but specifically Guatemala and El Salvador. Mm-hmm. And MJ wrote these notes up. Did you actually check them this time? Yes, I did check them because she did write them in a rush. She just was like, in a, in a break she had from dealing with all that she's dealing with, she was like, I need a distraction. And she was like, I'm going to write the notes, but I won't record, but I'll send them to you. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yes. And she titled this Horror Stories of Farms and Coffee Plantations. So here it goes. These were more humble and precarious times in El Salvador. Traveling in search of work was quite an odyssey around the country. Some relatives as well as acquaintances and some family friends Sorry, and this is like stories that were sent in to the, the person that has the blog. Okay. So it's like from the perspective of someone we don't know and an, oh, an anonymous see. person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me continue. Some relatives and family friends say that before I was born in 1973, traveling for work all over the country was a long and heavy trip. The reason people traveled was for coffee harvest in different coffee growing areas of the country. There was nowhere else to stay except in the whole of Haciendas. The resting place for these laborers or workers was nothing more than huge warehouses where all the workers who came from afar to earn pennies stayed to sleep all season. These wooden and adobe galleys provided heat to counteract the cold of those places, most of which were located in the high Salvadoran hills, since that's where the coffee was grown. It is here where my family and friends felt paranormal encounters and experiences with beings and sounds related to the afterlife. An uncle and his wife on duty at that time recounted. I say on duty because he changed women all the time. Um, oh, so his partner was on duty <laughs> as in, oh, my God. <laughs> yes. I, wow. Wow. OK, well, this is the Salvadoran okay, man he's talking okay. about. So. <laughs> Okay, typical Salvi man. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. But that is another story. Yes. (laughs) He recounts that they ventured into a coffee harvest season in the west of the country. They were traveling from the department of La Paz. So the cold hit them deeply during the season of work in the hills surrounding the, the Santa Ana volcano. They got up early since, according to them, they were asked for a daily quota of coffee to be delivered. Mm. So that day, they started early and cold. It ended the same way under the gloomy fog of these forests in El Salvador. I love the way this they wrote this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really set up the scene here. Yeah. And everyone had to return with their respective cut of the day to the hole of the hacienda. The strong and icy wind of the place added to the dark mist, giving a feeling of loneliness and sadness while the cold and the shapes of the shadows 
of the coffee plantations during the late night made you feel uneasy, as if there was something unusual or scary or macabre that could suddenly jump out at you. The urban area of the Hacienda is a very old building. It can be said it's from the end of the 19th century or even older. Uh, yeah, coffee. <clears throat> these buildings and haciendas were really big during the late 1800s and early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So. so when they say whole of the Hacienda, oh my God, I said it like you said. <laughs> You're um, transmitting your pocha to me. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> anyway. When they say whole of the hacienda, <laughs> oh um, my god! Like, does that just mean like the hacienda was like run down, or does it mean like a spe- specific part of the hacienda? What do you? I think? think I think it's a big building okay. with nothing. It's just a structure, and that's oh, where they all sleep okay. in the hacienda. In open air because um, yeah, they keep talking about go, how cold it is and stuff. Yes, if you go back to. Um, our Instagram for Historias Unknown, I posted like it's like the first post. Mm-hmm. There's buildings in a coffee plantation in Guatemala. And I think some of those buildings might be where they stayed. But some, so some haciendas had smaller like uh, buildings. Mm-hmm. And none of these are made, none of these are constructed very well. But there were smaller buildings where people stayed, and some of them just had big, big buildings where everyone stayed. Oh, okay. So I didn't know if it was is. like that because they're like run down by now, if they were like intentionally built like that. I think they were intentionally built like that. Okay, I see. They're, I mean, and we've said it in our coffee episode, but they didn't care about these workers. So yeah. they just needed them there. They were truly um, to horrible. exploit them. Yeah. So yeah, these buildings are not going to be comfy at all. This gives the place a gloomy feeling. To this, we add multiple stories of packs with the devil by the owners of those haciendas, <coughs> the, the Girola family. <laughs> this together with other elements is a time bomb in the heads of laborers, believing that something could suddenly happen to them with the creatures from the afterlife. My family would retell their experiences in the in the haciendas. They stated that people saw things in the hills during their workday. It sounded as if something large was dragging the entire skin of a cattle or a very large animal. They would refer to this as arrastrar un cuero, dragging leather, maybe. Like a body, no? Like the skin of a body? Like a yeah, cuero? I you know, like so. when you're talking about the cuero of the, I don't mm-hmm. know, chicken or something, you know? Yes, yes. Well, probably something bigger than a chicken. I know. But yeah. I, that's just what came to my head. And I'm talking about like <laughs> the skin of it. <laughs> yeah. You're really being a know it all right now. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. You're right. It was just okay, that so moment, actually. I don't know why I said that. In that moment, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, the sound of horse hooves at full gallop in the middle of coffee plantations and a sinister laugh. Oh. And all of this happening was like nothing. That would be causing these Yeah, sounds. like nothing there. Just like a uh, disembodied sound. Yes. Disembodied, sinister laughs, horse hooves, and uh, dragging of The laugh is the creepiest, skin. honestly. Yes, I agree. In the distance between the undergrowth and mist, they saw strange figures that would suddenly ap- disappear. That wasn't even the worst of it. The most worrying was the disappearance of day lab- laborers who never returned from the arduous, arduous. How do you say that word? What the fuck? Mm, I don't know how to say it. I'm sorry. A R D O. I know. I know how okay. it's spelled. I don't mm-hmm. know how to say it. 
Um, the most worrying thing was always the disappearance of day laborers who never return from their difficult work day. Well, that could be for many reasons. Yes, that is true. The managers of the farm and foremen looked for them, but they were never heard from again. The rumors that they were... Arduous. Oh, arduous. <laughs> Thank you. No, that was necessary because I completely replaced the word. <laughs> well, now we know. Arduous. Okay. There were rumors that they were taken by the devil. Back on the farm, the ranch, or the whole, not ranch, it's the empty building. Mm -hmm. The dinner that local employees had been cooking all day. Okay, it was just beans and tortillas. Mm -hmm. This doesn't take all day to cook. Sorry, (laughs) let me continue. The dinner uh, the local employees had been cooking all afternoon was served. Some, oh, okay, she did. Some large tortillas. Yeah. Well, that's what all they gave them. No, no, I'm saying that because you're saying yeah. this doesn't take all day. And I'm like, she didn't say all day. She said afternoon. Sorry, all afternoon. You're right. My bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. Some large tortillas with beans and perhaps a piece of curd and sometimes meat. Rarely, very mm-hmm. rarely. Nothing spectacular with a cup of coffee. After that, everyone went to try to sleep and recover for the new day. Here began another ordeal for the employees because it was almost midnight outside those large wooden galleys when they heard groans. A macabre mm. laughter, mm. very strong footsteps, mm. and pounding oh on the God. wooden and adobe walls. It just gets Oof. worse and worse. Yes. <laughs> they also hit the access portal to the gallery door as if trying to break it down. And the animals fought and made a lot of noise outside. Some dared to look through the cracks in the walls, but nothing was outside. Later, there was a spectral shadow that passed through the middle of the gallery. Oh, hell no. The day laborers slept against the four walls of that immense place. My uncle recounts that they only had to wrap themselves from head to toe in their blanket, hoping that this would pass quickly. Oh, terrifying. Mm -hmm. Other nights, they talked about a huge animal in the shape of a black dog. Oh. But it was not the famous Cadejo. Oh. Oh. What? Okay. (laughs) That animal tried to beat its way into the gallery, but it was nothing more than a scare because it never entered. At least not that anyone knew of. Although some said that he was the boss's envoy and the devil himself who wanted to take more than one person with him. In addition, a huge light was seen across the gallery, the building, uh, from one end until it came out of the other. So, friends, many horror stories and these curious experiences of the coffee farms and harvest in El Salvador. To this day, I do not believe any. Really? Well, I do. How, how are you going to go into that much detail and then at the end say, I don't believe any of these stories? I'm, uh, what sorry. a bitch. <laughs> yeah. So, you're, so, wow. Okay. So, he's calling his family liars. That's mm-hmm, what he's doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm assuming he's he. I don't know why. Hmm. But yes, each one will judge and draw their own conclusions or will know more about these experiences. The need made people work and stay in these places at a time when traveling was hard, even knowing that it might be their last day. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to like <laughs> listen to your family tell these stories and then just be like, like I don't bullshit. know. <laughs> Liars. Yeah. This next one is uh, it takes place in San Salvador. I have a little background information to kind of set up the story about where it takes place. So in San Salvador, you can find a shopping center called Las Galerias. And this was actually built after Papi left. So Mm -hmm. he didn't even know about it. 
uh, in the 90s, late 90s. Mm. So there's something unique about Las Galerias, the shopping center, inside or the mall, whatever. Inside, there's a structure known as La Casona, the mansion. This architectural work was constructed in the 1950s, and it is the private property to one of the most successful families of El Salvador, the Girola family. And I don't remember if I've talked about La Girola family on Spooky Tales or if it was just on the Spooky Tales TikTok and on another podcast. I don't remember you talking about them on the podcast. Okay. So this is a very, I actually asked Papi. So they are one of the 14. I assume that right now. Yeah. For those that don't know, the 14 families are the oligarchs of El Salvador. And they are still basically, they just, they're, they're not rich from coffee anymore. They invested their money in properties. But that's how they got their small wealth originally. Their right? start, yes. So this family, uh, I asked Papi if he knew about them. And he's like, oh, of course, everybody does. That's wild to me. I don't know. Yeah, so they say, and this is what Papi told me. So they say that they made a pact with the devil Whoa. to be rich. He told yes. you that? Yeah. Then he said, I don't know, but they, I don't know about that, but they are one of the 14 mm-hmm. um, who became rich from coffee. Mm-hmm. And so that's all he said about it. Okay. But just to give a little more background on the legend, they say that the family, so there's a very famous house in Santa Tecla. And that's one of their, that's where they live. That's their mansion. And the mansion, um, people go in there, they hear noises. There's a videos on YouTube of people really? like breaking wow. in and <laughs> recording. But they live now? there still or no? It's no, like no, a, sorry. Oh, it's, okay. it's in ruins now. Oh, I see. Not ruins because it's a little kept up. It's not it's like abandoned. Like, no one lives there. It's abandoned there. now. Yeah. I, I believe at some point there was people doing tours, paranormal tours. Oh. I don't know if that's still a thing after COVID. Um, but they say that yeah, you can hear weird noises. And of course, with all like super rich families that exploit people, there's always legends of them doing packs with the devil to gain their riches. So they say that this family, every son has to make a pack with the devil and then sacrifice like a child or something like that. Oh, wow. And um, they say that they, someone knew had like, had to do that and he didn't do it and that's why they lost their wealth it was really the fall or the fall of the coffee bean Mm -hmm. you know they also didn't lose their wealth they invested in into property okay yeah so that is the basic legend of Mm -hmm. them and and the their mansion in santa tecla is still said to be haunted to this day and so yes that is the girola family so now back to this so this house la casona that's inside the mall it's said that in the 1960s, it became the headquarters of the Organization of Central American States, or ODECA. Um, and this was the organization that wanted to unite uh, all of Central mm-hmm. America into one country. And so leaders would meet there, arrange their plans for the unification of Central America. But then there was conflict within the group. ODECA quit using it. And then the Girola family also quit using it. And they sold it to the Siman group. The Siman group still owns a bunch of buildings and properties in El Salvador. For years, it remained abandoned until the construction of the mall in the late 1990s. First, they wanted to demolish, like just completely get rid of La Casona. But then they decided to, um, what's it called when you like? Renovate? Renovate. Oh, my God. I put refurbish because I couldn't remember the word renovate. (laughs) That's what you do with furniture, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Like couches. 
refurbishing, upholstery, whatever. <laughs> yes, yes. So they decided to renovate it and then build the mall around it. And I'll be posting pictures of it because... I, yeah, I was like, I can't picture this. Yeah, in the middle of the mall, there's just a mansion and it's pretty cool looking. And you can um, go inside of it? I don't know if you can go oh. inside the mansion or if it's just there. I wonder. It's, it's not very clear to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, and there's also a movie theater that was added in 2006. And it's, it was a Mexican company. I don't know why I actually said that, but we probably went to that movie theater when we went to, um, it's like the biggest movie theater chain in Mexico, but they oh. added a movie theater into the mall in 2006. And ever since the mall opened, La Casona is a main attraction, but it's also the, the subject of many tales of terror. So the following is a story that takes place in the mall. Oh, sorry. And then this is just some more information I found about the the Girolas. So I don't know if it's Girola or Girola. I would I would assume Girola just because it's in the beginning. I would but. too. Yeah. So this is just information about them um, that I found and that was anonymously given. So the head of this family was Mr. Girola, whose actual first name escapes me. A friend of mine who worked for the family told me several stories about his employer and what happened inside the walls of the Girola home. They say that at the time, Mr. Girola had an agreement with the devil, and that's why they were so successful in business. The Girola family uh, was living in La Casona, Sorry, the Girola family that was living in La Casona was slowly dying and nobody knows why. There are rumors that they were possessed themselves. I believe that their last child was born a monster. Shortly after his family, he died and people say that the devil came and took the child away as payment for the family's success. Someone I know, I will not say the name, went to investigate this house as a journalist about 10 or 15 years ago. There he met an old woman who opened the door and welcomed him to the house and told him about all the events, including frequent visits from the devil. The following day, the journalist visited the house to find the old lady was not there and in fact had been dead for 20 years. Oh my God. Legend has it that in La Casona, inside the mall, in the middle of the night, you can hear noises and screams of an animal who was said to be the son of Mr. Girola. And that's, yeah, that's about the house that's in the mall, not the one in Santa Tecla. So this is the experience of Jaime Perez. It takes place in Las Galerias Mall in the 2000s. My name is Jaime and I am 29 years old. I had this experience in 2010 in my home country of El Salvador, in San Salvador, the capital city. The story begins with an outing I had with my friends to the movie theater in the mall. We always heard stories about the mall. People claimed to hear strange noises in the parking garage. It was rumored that the mall had been built over the homes of indigenous people. I personally believe this to be true. There's also strange rumors about La Familia Girola. Everyone knows about it. That's what Papi said. Mm. (laughs) It's always been said that they made a pact with the devil to obtain their wealth and that they have to sacrifice someone to maintain that wealth. It's said that spirits and demons are seen in La Casona inside the mall. These stories, of course, have no evidence behind them. And I personally didn't believe any of it. That is until I... (laughs) Yeah, until (laughs) I experienced something. It happened when my friends and I went to watch a movie. It was an 8 p.m. showing that was over just before 10. Back then, my friends and I loved horror and paranormal activity too was just coming out. 
After the movie, we walked out. We talked about how much we loved the movie and we were about to head to our cars in the parking garage, but then we decided to go for a drink instead. We went to a park about a 10-minute walk from the mall. We continued drinking and telling each other scary stories. Since we had been drinking, we decided to split a taxi and leave our cars in the parking garage at the mall. We'd come back the next day, but I didn't want to pay the fines. And I felt fine. I wasn't drunk. So I went back to the mall to get my car. By himself? Yes. Mm. And his friends took the taxi. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. It was midnight and the walk back was quiet and lonely, but I didn't mind. I got back and the mall was empty. Everything was closed already. I only ran into two security guards on the way to my car. I passed La Casona and I didn't mean to stop, but I did. It was beautiful. I couldn't help but to look. Looking inside was also a little scary. I couldn't help to think of all the stories I'd heard about the Girolas and about the house. It felt like something was inside staring back at me. I brushed it off and continued walking to my car. It was midnight. I walked to the elevators and pressed the down button. It felt extremely cold, but I ignored this eerie feeling. I just wanted to leave to go home. The elevator was taking too long. And just as I was going to turn around to head to the stairs, the doors opened. I went inside, pressed the number three, but the doors wouldn't close. I kept pressing and pressing and pressing. And then I just hit the button, the buttons. Does it have a name? The mm. thing that holds all the buttons, like the console? Probably maybe? does. Con- control thing? <laughs> yeah, whatever. He, right, hit right. The whole, he hit all the buttons at the same time. <laughs> so... Suddenly, the doors closed and the elevator felt like it was falling. I was scared. Oh, my God. I thought I was going to die. The elevator seemed to keep going. It wouldn't stop. I felt like I was drowning. Just, you know, the fear of just falling. Mm -hmm. Just a plunge. Ooh. (laughs) After what seemed like too long, the elevator came to a stop. The doors opened. This didn't look like the same parking garage, but it was a parking garage. It was so cold. I used my phone to light my way, but I saw no cars. This wasn't normal. I walked and walked and walked. And I noticed that I couldn't even find the elevator at that point. Oh, my God. I was so scared. Even with my phone, it was so dark. I couldn't see anything. I walked and walked. At the distance, I could see an orange light. The light was coming towards me, but there was also a very strange sound almost like machinery. I ran, looking for the elevator. After running away from the orange light, I found the elevator and pressed the buttons in panic. The orange light was getting closer and closer. Too close. But the elevator doors opened and closed, and I went up. Now it was the regular parking garage. I found my car, and I left in a rush. When I was finally out at a stoplight, I stopped to think, what the hell just happened? I don't tell people about this. I haven't been back to la to the Galerias <laughs> Mall. <laughs> I wouldn't be back either. Right? Was it a time lapse? Was it real? It felt real. I do believe there is something sinister about La Casona in the mall. Damn. <laughs> That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would... If other dimensions were real, I feel like he fucking went to another dimension with in this creepy elevator. Yeah. And what the hell is that orange light? <laughs> I don't know, but it was coming for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Terrifying. 
And before we get to the true crime episode, Carmen, I want to tell you about this drink that I have been drinking. It's called Magic Mind. And um, it comes in little tiny bottles. And I just take a little shot of it with my with my coffee. Um, and it helps with productivity. And I must say that after drinking this, I no longer drink a whole pot of coffee by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I do feel more focused. I was actually... At my uh, at my day job, I was drinking it, and the provider, she's like, "Are you taking shots of there?" And I was like, "You know what? I am. I am taking shots of Magic Mind." <laughs> You're like, and yeah, no, no. I just I just took a swig of it oh, like okay. by itself, thought, just straight. I was picturing yeah. like the flask, like pouring into your like coffee. <laughs> no, no, I took a shot of it straight from the bottle. And uh, let me tell you, it has all these fancy things in it. Uh, what were these words that are so fun to say? Nootropics and adaptogens. And Oh, I've heard adaptogens before. Have you? I don't know what they are. <laughs> I just have heard that word before. <laughs> Whatever they are, they help me stay refreshed, okay? <laughs> um, so if you want to try Magic Mind, go to magicmind.co, not .com, .co, and use code spooky 20 to get a nice deal on this fancy drink. And, you know, you can also sign up for a subscription. And this way, you get it sent straight to you. You don't have to remember to order it again, because I would forget. Um, But highly legit drink. And it's pretty tasty. So, yes, that is magicmind.co. And use code SPOOKY20. And Carmen, I'm going to give you some when you visit. So, you can taste it, too. I'm excited. She's going to be here next weekend. So. Welcome to our little haunted break. I want to give a shout out to the amazing patrons supporting us over on Patreon and especially our newest patron, Nelly. And thank you to the rest of our amazing patrons, Alex and Asriel, Maribel, Gina, Mimi, Diana, Ashes, and Janie, Michelle, Monica, Modesto, Perla, Jesenia, Dalia, Rene, Iris, Ghostrin, and Madtown Charity. Your support means the world to us. If you want to join the Patreon, go ahead and head on over to patreon.com slash tales. You'll gain access to bonus episodes. We try to do two a month, but always at least one. You get to vote on the movie night uh, polls where you choose the movie night that we're going to be watching and monthly goodies like stickers. And if you join the highest tier, no mames, super serious as spooky, then you get an exclusive keychain. But don't worry. If you cannot support us monetarily, then you are not missing out on anything. The best support that you can give us is just listening to our episodes here. So thank you for doing that. So now we're going to share a true crime case. Um, so first, I'm just going to tell you a little bit. Uh, well, you know what? No, let's just kind of get into it here. Wait, what were you going to tell me? <laughs> no, I'm just going to start the story. Okay. Just gonna, yeah. No background. So. Reina Angelica Marroquín was from San Martín in Salvador. She left El Salvador after finding out her husband had an affair and had gotten his uh, affair uh, partner or affair, I don't know, his side piece pregnant. <laughs> his affair partner? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, what am I saying? Oh it's my God, I put, why is that so funny? I wrote, I wrote he had gotten his affair pregnant. And I was like, <laughs> there's a word missing. The affair E? <laughs> the affair attendant? No. <laughs> Anyway, a fair participant. Okay, sorry, go on. Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah, a fair participant is a good one. (laughs) So Reina arrived in New York 
1966. I think I know this because I recognize that last name. But just you probably do actually. We'll just go on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna ignore that. So <laughs> in 1966, uh, she arrived in New York in 1966 and lived in a room at a Catholic home for single women, which I had no idea was a thing. Wow, I think I've heard of them. Okay, yeah. Uh, she attended English classes and attended classes at the High School of Fashion Industries. Oh, okay, I do know. Oh, okay. She also got a job at a place called Melrose Plastic Company. She loved her family in El Salvador. She was always talking about them, to them. She was in constant communication with her mom. She also, you know, she wanted to become an American citizen. She frequently told her mom she was going to make a name for herself and that she was going to be someone. She also had a friend, actually the teacher from the English school, Kathy. And uh, at some point during, you know, all this, Kathy noticed that uh, Reina began acting a little strange. And Reina informed her that um, she was pregnant and she didn't tell Kathy who the father was. Uh, Kathy asked Reina if the father of the baby was going to marry Reina and Reina said that you know eventually he would but there was a problem uh, he was married, married. <laughs> with with three kids yeah oh my god <laughs> and so you know they left it at that some time passed and then Reina was beginning to feel like he was never going to leave his wife and so one day Kathy noticed that Reina was acting like you know super out of it like something was wrong and she asked so Reina told her that she had called the house the home of her baby's father. And uh, she told the father of her baby, her his wife, she told her everything and that she was expecting a baby from her husband. Then the father of the baby returned Reina's call and told her he was going to kill Reina for this. He was going to kill her and he would never forgive her. So Reina told Kathy all of this. And, you know, this was a mistake and she was scared. And then Reina didn't show up. I think she didn't show up for an, a, either a, a, like just like a get together with Kathy or to English school. I don't know which one. But Kathy noticed that she was missing. Basically, mm-hmm. she, didn't, she wasn't answering her phone at her apartment. So Kathy went to Reina's apartment and Reina wasn't there. But Kathy saw warm food in the microwave. It seemed like Reina had been there. Mm. So she waited. Uh, she waited three hours and still there was no sign of Reina. So Kathy went to the police to report her missing. But the police like ignored her. Basically, they didn't do anything. They were mm-hmm. just like typical. Yeah. Are you family? No. OK, then whatever. Like you can't report her missing, which is some wild people to me. don't have family nearby. That is ridiculous. It is because this woman was an immigrant. Uh-huh. Like, mm-hmm. she, she her family's in El Salvador. <sighs> That's messed up. It's racist, if anything. (laughs) If anything, yeah. So um, the police dismissed Kathy. Kathy told them Reina's pregnant and she said she's about to have a baby. The police replied, "Uh, you know what? She's probably just out shopping. Oh, my God. There was warm food in her apartment. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just sorry. I'm just making faces over here. So (laughs) since Kathy was not a relative and she didn't know who the boyfriend was, there was nothing, quote unquote, that they could do. Or they just weren't willing to do anything. I mean, yeah, they could have gone to her apartment and like searched, started an investigation. You know what I mean? Something. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. What, can you remind mm-hmm. me what time frame this is? 1966. Oh, okay, okay. I remembered it was the 60s, but I didn't remember what year. Yeah. Sorry, Reina arrived. I don't know if this happened at the same. Reina arrived in 1966. I don't know when this exactly happened. Okay, but, but it was still, if yeah, it's not in that time early frame. 70s, because she got there in yes. the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
So Reina was never seen again. And her friend Kathy and her family just didn't hear anything from her again. Oh they just didn't, had no idea what happened to her. Then, years, decades later, in 1999, on September 2nd, 1999, the Cohen family was getting ready to move out of their home. That's when uh, Mr. Cohen, I didn't write down his name. <laughs> that's, when, that's when Senior Cohen. <laughs> Senor Cohen. <laughs> yeah, Senor Cohen realized that the trash people hadn't picked up all of his trash. There was still like a giant barrel there. And there was a note that was like, this is too heavy to move. We're not doing this. <laughs> oh, wow. So he's like frustrated that he was going to have to do this himself. And he decided to open the barrel up to see if there was anything he could take to the dump himself after emptying it just to make it less heavy. When he opened the barrel, a smell like no other hit him. And he saw a woman's hand in the barrel. Oh, my. He called police and, you know, they started an investigation so police took the barrel, they uh, emptied it in their little, I don't know, laboratory or whatever, wherever they take evidence. And they found a woman inside. She was between 20 and 30 years old. And they said that she is white or Hispanic. And the woman had suffered blunt force trauma to the back of her head. And she had then been stuffed into this barrel. There was an unknown green substance inside the barrel with her, along with some pellets. And a small leather book. The liquid substance had destroyed the writing in the book. But this substance had also mummified the woman's body. Wow. Weird. So the leading investigator noticed that the woman's dental work looked a little different. It wasn't typically done in the U.S. And he knew this because he himself had spent some time in South America. And the dental work you looked familiar to him. So he requested x-rays for a closer look at her teeth. And when they were doing the x-rays, they discovered that she was uh, had been pregnant. Oh, wow. This barrel also had numbers on the side of it. And this made it easy for them to identify the manufacturer of this barrel. It was a company in Linden, New Jersey. And the barrel had been built in 1965. 34 years before the woman inside of the barrel had been found. So... Other than figuring out where the barrel went, this investigation was not moving forward. So they decided to focus on the homeowners. And so the three of the homeowners, four people owned this home previously. Three of them was like, oh, they were like, oh, this barrel has always been there. We just never opened it. Like, it was just there. I'm sorry. Why would you just leave? Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, because there was stuff in our garage already. Like there was painting, house. cleaning supplies, uh -huh. but we knew what it was. Then there's then there's small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just like some mysterious yeah, barrel, yeah. <laughs> giant barrel. Yeah. So all three home three homeowners were like, yeah, it's just always there. The first homeowner was mm. like, oh, I don't know what barrel. I have no idea. Suspish. I've never heard about this barrel. Which is, it's not a good look, right? I've never seen a barrel in my life. It's pretty clear <laughs> someone's not being honest. What shape is that? <laughs> <laughs> what is a barrel? I don't know. <laughs> is it round? <laughs> um, the investigators decided to focus on the address book that they found, the little leather book. Um, since the liquid had destroyed the notebook... It, they placed it in some forensic drying cabinet for several days. And then once Ooh. it was dried, they placed it into... And I watched the Forensic Files episode on this, which is why I, I know all these fancy Whoa. words. So then they analyzed it with a video spectral com comparator to compare. Fancy. 
Yeah. Or VSC. This machine uses infrared lighting to see anything not visible with a naked eye. Oh, wow. So and then indentations left from writing, they can then recover what was being written with those indentations, even though there was no ink. Yep. And so names and phone numbers began showing up. Unfortunately, it had been, you know, over 30 years since they were written in this little book and nobody was answering the phones. They just didn't work anymore. So then they were like, you know what, let's focus on the family that owned the home during the 1960s as the barrel had been manufactured in 1965. So this family was the Elkins family. Uh, Neighbors informed police that their former neighbor, Howard Elkins, had something to do with plastic. Mm -hmm. That was his job. And um, investigators were like, well, there was plastic pellets in that barrel. So interesting. Okay. It turns out that in the 1960s, Howard had been a part owner of the Melrose Plastic Company in Manhattan. <laughs> the strings are tying the red string in my bulletin um, board. And this company. In my brain. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're, you're connecting dots here. Yep. <laughs> um, this company manufactured plastic trees and plants. They also figured out that the liquid in the barrel... Uh, so this liquid used to be used to color fake plants and trees. Oh. And this particular dye had not been manufactured since 1971. Not a good look for Mr. Elkins here. So after newspapers had released the pictures of the barrel, like on the front page, like women found inside this barrel, like almost word for word. That's what the headline said. Investigators received an anonymous phone call. And this person, you know, calling them, told them that this barrel used to be something he regu- regularly saw at his old job at the Melrose uh, Plastic or yeah, Melrose Plastic Company. In the 1960s. And that his boss at the time was having an affair with the Hispanic women. And at the time, Hispanic was widely used. I think now these days people are kind of moving away from Hispanic, which is why I'm using Hispanic. So he said that, you know, his boss was having an affair with the Hispanic women that also worked at the factory. Mm -hmm. And this boss turned out to be none other than Howard Elkins. So investigators went to Florida to meet with Elkins. He had retired and moved of to Florida. Of course he was in Florida. Yeah. Where else would he be, right? Florida man. <laughs> Florida man. Well, he was originally not a Florida man. No, I know. But he became one. <laughs> but do you become one once you move to Florida? Yeah. Yeah. You can, okay. I think. I don't think you have to start off there. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Elkins was unco- uncooperative. Of course he was. Yeah. He lied about the barrels. Barrels? I've never seen them in my life. <laughs> what shape is that? <laughs> fucking loser so uh when investigators asked about if he was having an affair or not surprisingly he was like yeah he he was truthful to that he was like it was the 60s we were all having affairs yeah (laughs) he didn't know what a barrel was but he knew what an affair was affair never heard of it (laughs) (laughs) no he had this he had heard of yeah 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 Uh, and then he gave uh zero information on the affair itself he wouldn't answer Mm. who he was with he's like i don't know it was a long time ago i don't remember anymore He's like, I've had many affairs. You expect me to remember all of them? (laughs) So uh, he refused to give names on, you know, who he was with. And he refused to give a DNA sample. Uh, During his meeting with investigators, he received a phone call. And uh, it was his wife. uh, And he was like, you know what? I need you guys to go after this phone call. And so one detective on the way out was like, 
we're gonna be back with a warrant and we're gonna get you bitch no he didn't say that <laughs> but he was like you're gonna rot in jail for this and then they left i don't know if that was the right move because they didn't have they don't they don't even know if they can get a warrant approved with the evidence they had thus exactly far. yes so after police left, Elkins went to Walmart and he purchased a shotgun and ammunition. <gasps> and and then he just didn't return. And his family was growing concerned and they called the police. They mm. found him in a neighbor's garage. There was another podcast that said they found him in the Walmart parking lot. But the Forensic Files episode said a neighbor's garage. Although mm. I don't know how he would, would even gotten in the garage. So... <laughs> yeah it's weird it was already open I maybe know. i don't know um and he he died by suicide he shot himself um his son and the police found him together oh my god so police then used his blood that was in the scene damn so he really thought that was gonna get him out of it but they're like oh now that he's uh you know dead we don't need his consent <laughs> exactly yes <laughs> oh and, my god horrible. and so they <laughs> Duh. They took his blood for DNA testing and he was found to be the of father of the woman's baby. Yep. Oh my God. Yeah. And so the crime had been solved. Who did this to her? But they did a, didn't know who she was still. The woman, her identity oh. was still unknown. After analyzing and analyzing this address book, one page was found to contain the words Mr. Elkins along with his address in Manhattan. Um, and then the page after that said Residi Residencia Nombre along with mm. the name Kathy Andrade and a phone number. After 30 years, Kathy's phone number was still the same. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, right? That is that is uh, rare, I think. Mm -hmm. So when investigators called, Kathy Andrade knew who the woman was right away. It was her long lost friend, Reina Angelica Marroquin. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I don't know why I, I cried. <laughs> I cried during this part of forensic files. Um, so the two met when Reina was enrolled in Kathy's English class, and they were instant friends. So when police called Kathy, she burst into tears. Aww. She she and in the documentary or in the episode, she's saying Reina was a lovely person. Um, she she lit up the room. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's true about some people. No, it is, I, and I don't blame people for saying this. I would say the same, and then would I say something like she was also a bitch? No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I know no one's yeah. gonna do that. No one's gonna do that, and and she had been so worried about her friend mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for thirty years. She didn't know what happened to her, and so she says, you know, she was a lovely person. I was like, I was just so lost. Um, she disappeared thirty years, and I just had no idea about her like at all. Um, so investigators came to the conclusion that. After Elkins called Reina back, he then lured her and threatened her. He mm. lured her into the factory where they worked and he he beat her and oh then um, to, to death. And took then he took her um, after she was dead. He took her body to try and hide her and hide the evidence. And um, he had a barrel in his basement already for some reason. And then he put her in this barrel. He filled it with pellets and the liquid to ensure that it would sink when he his plan was to dump it in the water. And then he just left it there? That's wild. He tried to put it in his car, this barrel, and it was too heavy uh -huh. for him. He couldn't oh. move it after that. So then he, he he couldn't pick it up into his truck or whatever. Okay. So he pushed it into the crawl space slowly. Oh. And that's where she remained for 30 oh years. Oh my gosh, how sad. Yeah. And her family, did anyone tell her family? Okay, so... uh. 
a reporter or journalist named Oscar Corral had been covering the story for News Weekly, and he decided to fly to El Salvador to San oh Martin gosh. to look for her family. Um, and he found them. It, uh, San Martin is a smaller city outside of his, of San Salvador. He found Reina's mother. She was 95 at the oh time. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to cry right now. I know. I <laughs> cried during this part, too, because it's, I don't know, like they didn't they didn't have a way of keeping up with the news they didn't know what happened to her they didn't even know about this case nothing so he went there he was carrying a newspaper with reina's picture on the front cover and he told them he told reina's mother that a woman had been found murdered and it was her daughter um and so reina's mother broke down into tears she had been waiting for 30 years because they knew reina wouldn't just stop calling oh i mean you talked about how much she kept in touch with her family like of course she wouldn't have yeah, and it just, like, it makes me think of our own mom who called almost every oh, yeah. day. We sent letters, she sent letters, like, and mm-hmm. now we have video chatting, you know, but this wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. But she called as often as she could. She wrote a bunch of letters. Like, she was always in constant communication. And they didn't know what happened for decades. Oh, Just for that just to go away, they knew yeah. something was wrong, but they didn't have any answers. And so... um she, Reina's mother, told Oscar Corral she often dreamed of her daughter. And she was so worried because in these dreams, um, her, her daughter's voice always sounded muffled. She, oh could never te- she could never tell what her daughter was saying. And there was one particular dream that was just haunting. Um, because in this particular dream that she had reoccurring, Reina was stuck inside of a barrel. Oh my God. In her dream. This was before Oscar Corral even said how she died. Oh, my God. She hadn't told them. He hadn't told them, I mean. Wow. Yeah. So um, a month after Reina, after finding out about Reina's passing, uh, Reina's own mother died. Um, almost like she was waiting, just, you know. But they're buried oh. together in a cemetery in El Salvador, in San Martin. <sighs> yeah. And there was also one paper in that notebook that said... Don't be mad that I told the truth. Um, so I think that was Reina. Wow. Saying that to uh, Elkins. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that is the case. It became known as the woman in the barrel. But that was Reina Angelica Marroquin. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to me because her family was, you know, they just had no idea. I think that's the, yeah, that's the saddest part of it all yeah. for me too. Yeah. But I'm glad that her mom, you know before she passed finally yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's um, I, th- I feel like she was waiting for answers yeah. and then finally she could rest in not peace because that's such a horrifying way to go but just to finally know what happened yeah better than not knowing i i think but yeah that is today's episode i need to stop ending on such a heavy note sorry because <laughs> last episode and this episode were both ended in, in a true crime episode um, and yeah, that brings us to the end of the episode. We can skip spooky recommendations this week uh, just because we're both short on time. <laughs> and we talked about Wednesday. Earlier, we already talked about which Wednesday. Which would have been my recommendation. Anyway. Because <laughs> yeah. I finally finished it. <laughs> yeah. And oh God, I was going to say one more thing. Oh, um, after this episode, we are going to be taking a break. We'll be back on the first week of January. Okay. So happy holidays, everyone. And I do have a Christmas treat. There's going to be an episode, a special Christmas episode uh with uh that you'll hear um but yes we'll be back on the first week of january and uh carmen anything else you want to add before we go well i guess i should plug our podcast um if you (laughs) yeah i guess um if you like novelas and talking shit about them (laughs) then you would enjoy novelas un cafecito we are recapping 
Teresa right now. And someday we'll finish that and move on to a new yes. novella. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you like learning about um, obscure Latin American history, then check out Historias Unknown. Yes, yes. Both of those will be linked in the show notes. Thank you for, again for stepping in for MJ while she deals with such a horrible, unfortunate yes. situation. And if you want to help MJ, go ahead and buy some stickers from us. All proceeds will go to MJ. All right. Stay a spooky. We'll catch everyone next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to the Spooky supporting us on Patreon. Your support means the world to us. And if you want to join the Patreon and get bonus episodes, monthly goodies in the mail, and more, go over to patreon.com slash spookytales. Spooky Tales is hosted by Christina and MJ, produced and edited by Christina, and is a proud member of the Cultivate Network. For more podcasts on the network, check out cultivatepodcastnetwork.com. Don't forget to check out our Spooky merch. We have Spooky shirts. We have No Mamas shirts. And we have a cool hat that I just added. It's like a baseball hat, not like a hat hat. Um, we also have a beanie in there. And they just say Spooky on there. But I'm a big fan of the hat. It says Spooky in Old English letters. And I love it. I wear it every day. Not because I want to go around repping the podcast. But it's comfy. It's a great hat. You can go to spookytales.com store. I'm always adding new designs. But don't even worry if you cannot support us monetarily because the most important support is what you're already doing, giving us a listen. If you listen and you love what we do, feel free to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share this with your spooky friends. Spooky season is upon us, so this is our time of year. Stay as spooky!